stories uh, in this gospel. And as I've mentioned before, one of the distinctives of this gospel is long extended conversations between Jesus and individuals. And we will come to one of the most famous ones uh, in John chapter 3 this morning. But we're going to start right at the end of chapter 2 and then read into uh, chapter 3. So we'll begin in John chapter 2, verse 23. John chapter 2, verse 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Now, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you, not, you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned is excuse me. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes into the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now? As we come to the words of your Son, 
as we come to this gift that you have given to us, the gift of of knowing you through your word, which is not only this book, but which is the person of Jesus, what he has said and what he has done. So would you help us come humble this morning? Would you help us to come realizing our need, not only for your voice, but for your spirit, to receive your word and to be changed by it. Would you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts so that we could hear from you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This week I watched the movie A Most Wanted Man. It's a spy thriller based on a novel by John le Carre. And as with most of his stories... It shows the complexity of making a difference. The complexity of making a difference. One of the American diplomats in the story, early in the story, says, my goal, my purpose in in whatever I'm doing is to make the world a safer place. And by the end of the story, she's made the world a more dangerous place, and we are questioning her motives. The climactic scene of the movie is the main character, Gunther Bachmann, screaming in frustration. Because change is hard. Change is hard. Making a difference, whether that's combating global terrorism or dealing with our own personal flaws, making a difference is rare. And doesn't it sometimes seem unrealistic, impossible? How can things really be different? I don't know if transformation was on the mind of Nicodemus as he came to Jesus, as we read about in John chapter 3, but I'm guessing that it was, because that's where Jesus takes their conversation. Jesus ignores his polite and kind compliment and immediately goes to a dream. He goes to the dream that Nicodemus would have shared with his fellow Israelites. The dream of the kingdom of God. God's reign intruding upon history, defeating the wicked, liberating the righteous. A dream not just for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. Because, as in the language of the end of this passage, it is about the world being saved. In other words, it's the dream of profound transformation. So I want us to listen in to this conversation this morning, this conversation about change. And we'll see the nature of change and the cause of change. First of all, the nature of change. Jesus takes this large-scale cosmic expectation of transformation and he connects it to the individual. He says to see, to experience, to participate in the kingdom of God, something has to happen to you. And that happening he describes as a birth. You must be born again. That is probably better translated, 
born from above. It's less about number and more about direction. It's expanded in verse 5 as he talks about being born by water and the Spirit. And that's enigmatic, isn't it? It's a little strange, but, but Jesus expected Nicodemus to get it. He expected him to understand what he was talking about. And he expected that because of Ezekiel. If you're joining with us in community Bible reading, you'll know that we just struggled through that very intimidating book of the Old Testament. And there's a very significant sequence in chapters 36 and 37 of the book of Ezekiel. After announcing a lot of judgment, the prophet begins to mix in hope. And he says God is going to sprinkle clean water on his people, cleansing them from their idolatry and sin. And he's going to do that by pouring out his spirit, his presence on them. So that they will have a new heart. So that they will truly know him and live out of a sincere desire to obey him. And then chapter 37 expands and develops that message with a vision. It's a famous one. Ezekiel sees a valley. And it's full of dry bones. And God asked him, can these bones live? Ezekiel says, you know, Lord. God tells him to speak over the bones. And as he does, the wind begins to blow. And it becomes a breath of new life. Wind and spirit, it's the same Hebrew word. You hear the echo in John 3? Can you hear it? Jesus is saying that crazy vision has to happen to you. The water and wind of God's own spirit, his presence, must become the source of your life. It must become your breath. So see, change according to Jesus, it isn't reform. It's resurrection. It isn't minor adjustments to your workflow for greater productivity. It is nothing less than new life. That's the nature of change. But maybe you can see and maybe you can relate to Nicodemus' puzzled face. Because after his greeting, we don't hear anything from him except confusion. How, he asked twice, how can one go and be born again? How can these things be? And I am convinced that that's part of the point. That's what Jesus wants from him. Jesus wanted to bring Nicodemus to the point of impossibility. That's why I had us read the end of chapter 2 so we could see why Jesus wanted to do that. See, Jesus was in Jerusalem and people were, people were beginning to attach their hopes for the kingdom of God to Jesus. But John tells us that Jesus does not entrust himself to them because 
He knows what is in man. Jesus knows that while they are hoping for the kingdom of God, they want it their way and not his way. And then chapter 3 becomes a for example. Jesus knew what was in man. For example, there was a man named Nicodemus who with all of his education, with all of his religion, with all of his morality, needed to be baffled. He needed to learn that while he he desired transformation, the coming of the kingdom of God, that desire was impossible. That dream is impossible with his own resources. And we need to learn the same. We need Jesus to bring us to the point of impossibility. The baffled realization that true transformation cannot be manipulated, cannot be controlled. It's like that whirlpool that happens in the bathtub when the water drains out of it, and every child learns at some point that you can't grab a hold of it. Or it's like us trying to predict where hurricanes are going to go. I love it. A storm develops out in the Atlantic. The, the meteorologist shows up on television. He's got buttons and wires and computers everywhere. All the signals of competence. And then he shows you this graphic. And it's just a mess of yarn. And the conclusion is we have no idea what this thing is going. That's what it's like to realize the nature of change as Jesus teaches it. See, you can't manipulate God's life-giving spirit with your obedience, with your religious observance, with your morality. You cannot manage God's resurrecting breath. And I think that scares many of us. Because we want something that we can control. We want stable formulas. And so we retreat into what is manageable, into what is predictable. Clear lists. And we need to realize that when we do that, we're often retreating from Jesus. We're retreating from the vision of God's kingdom that he holds out to us when we retreat into our own resources, our own competence. We we become like the people that W.H. Alden describes in his poem, The The Age of Anxiety. He says, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb on the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. Can you sit with Nicodemus and listen to Jesus and let your illusion of control and competence die? You see, the first step to real, true, genuine transformation is to admit that you can't make it happen with your own resources.
Now, that is only the first step. That is not the only step, because Jesus does not leave Nicodemus with his questions. He doesn't just lead Nicodemus to that place of asking how, and then go silent. Jesus addresses the question, how can these things be? Well, consider secondly, the cause of change. The cause of change. If change is this impossible vision of birth from above, how does it happen? Snakes. The cause of change has something to do with snakes. Verse 14, Jesus takes us to another strange book, another strange story in the Bible. Numbers 21, the people of Israel are out in the desert, and they're grumbling, and they're complaining. They are doubting God's goodness and his wisdom, and they are ready to leave him and go back to Egypt. And God sends judgment on them in the form of snakes, fiery serpents. And then he tells Moses to make a bronze replica of one of those snakes, put it on a pole, and whoever looks at the snake will be healed. You see, he put his people in the situation where they have a sickness that only he can cure. They are forced to trust his way towards life. And his way is the image of death becoming the means of life. The image of judgment becoming the means of mercy. Jesus universalizes that story. He said, everyone is sick with a sickness that they can't cure and it's sin. It's a sickness that began with a serpent in the garden. But Jesus came from above. He came from that place where we must receive true life. And he came to take the poison. On the cross, he took the poisonous bite of sin. And when he did, he stripped its power. It is just as God promised in Genesis 3. He was struck by the serpent, and then he crushed the head of the serpent. So that as Jesus is lifted up on the cross, the image of death becomes the means of life. The image of judgment becomes the means of mercy. It is his cross that is the cause of change. It is his cross that is the channel of this new birth. This birth from above. That's why it is no surprise after Jesus dies and rises from the dead in John, he comes to his disciples, he appears to them, and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Spirit. Receive the the birth from above that happens as a result of my death for you. So the question becomes, for Nicodemus and for us, it becomes the question of perception and trust. Can you 
perceive what's happening in Jesus? And can you entrust your life to Him? That is not simply a one-time act. That is a lifetime movement. You see, as Christians, we aren't just born again. We are being born from above. As we live by faith in Jesus and receive the ongoing work of His Spirit. The end of the passage, John returns to the language of chapter 1. The language of light and darkness. Recall that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came to Jesus in the darkness. And before him stood the light, the light of new creation. And so the question becomes for him, can you see it? Can you see the light that is in front of your face? And it is as if John, telling this story, then turns to us and says, can you see it? Can you see the light that Jesus has brought into this world. A couple of years ago, there was an art installation in the rooftop garden of the Met in New York City. It was done by a Pakistani artist named Imran Qureshi. And at first glance, it looked like just a splatter of blood, as if a bomb had exploded. But then when you look closer, you can see little designs all through the red paint. Images of leaves, flowers, and birds. (coughs) Signs of life in the middle of what looked like death. That's the message here. That's the art of the gospel. What looks like a bloody mess is God saving the world. Can you see it? Can you receive it? Can you walk in it? Can you entrust your life to it this week? Frankly, I'd prefer the cynicism of movies like A Most Wanted Man. It's easier. There's less disappointment, less sadness. Maybe you can relate. We'd rather be ruined than changed. But can you hear Jesus inviting you out of your cynicism? Inviting me out of my cynicism? Yes, He wants our illusions to die, but He wants that because of what we are left with when they die. We're left with the power of His blood. To bring new life. We are left with the transformative love of God. Given through him to us. Can you see it? Let's pray.